0: Exodus 3, 1 to 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Thank you, Steve.
1: So we're in week three of a series on meeting the Lord up close and personal. It's a highlights package from different parts of the Bible. We've looked at at God's creation with Adam and Eve. We saw last week through Graham Poole, um, God appearing to Abraham and calling him to be uh, the father of a multitude, the father of many nations. And we pick up now about 600 years after Abraham with Moses. And it's a, a, we, want, we need to understand where we're going with the biblical storyline. So just bear with a little bit of history today because it will bear a lot of fruit in understanding when we see what's happening. Before we do that, let's pray and ask the Lord to really help us with his word. Our God and Father, we praise you that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And you are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please open these scriptures to us. Help us to understand, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Show us what you want us to take to heart. We ask it for your glory. In Christ's name. Amen. So after God's wonderful creation of the world, things went pear-shaped. We know that from Genesis 3. Um, Sin entered the world and with sin came the curse of death and all the problems associated with that and the downward spiral of humanity began. But despite being exiled from Eden, the flood that engulfed the world and all the other things that followed through, the building of the tower to try and get a name for themselves and the the new technology of the brick to get that name for themselves. God didn't give up on mankind. He didn't give up on humanity. And he called 70-year-old Abram, that's what his name was then, from Ur in what is now modern-day Iraq... And he said, leave your land and your country, go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you the father of a multitude. And the rest of the book of Genesis traces that story of this unfolding promise to Abraham through the lives of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, God being faithful through subsequent generations. So throughout Genesis, we're reminded that the Lord is faithful to his word. And boy, there's some stuff that happens in Genesis. There's polygamy, there's sibling rivalry, there's incest, there's murder, and a whole variety of other things. And yet God, through it all, is faithful to his promise. And eventually Abram's descendants became known as the Israelites, because God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And they were also known as the Hebrews because that's the language that they spoke. So because of a famine in the land of Canaan, during the time of Joseph and his 11 brothers, Israel ended up living in Egypt. And there, Joseph and his 11 brothers died. And they're living the good life in Egypt at that stage. So Genesis ends with that. And the book of Exodus takes up the story several centuries after the death of Joseph and his brothers. So it's not just two years later. It's it's possibly 300 years later. And there's a pharaoh who knew not Joseph It would be like us going back to the 1700s and who's the king of England? It means nothing to me. And he oppresses the children of Israel. He sees them as a threat because in that interim time they've multiplied. They've become like sand on the seashore, like God had promised to Abraham. Stars in the heavens... Multitudes. And the Egyptians saw them as a threat, so they gang pressed them into servitude to help build. Uh, cities like Pithom and ramses They're mentioned here in Exodus. And they cry out to God for relief because they're being beaten. They've been told to do a certain quota of bricks and when they don't fulfil that quota, the supplies to make the bricks are taken away but they've still got to keep up the quota. And it gets harder and harder. And deliverance came about in a most unexpected way. I just remembered technology here. So that's the journey so far and deliverance comes about in the most unexpected way. Look at the end of chapter 2. It says, During the long period the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. He was concerned. So Pharaoh had directed all midwives to practise infanticide. I could let the Israelite baby girls live but the baby boys are to take to the Nile River and drown or in a bucket and drown. Imagine that. But things haven't really changed a great deal. I know know midwives today here in Tasmania who've felt constrained to leave the hospital system because they are forced to participate in abortions despite their conscience. It's always been difficult to hold to the ways of God in every generation. And Moses was no exception to that and the Israelites. So thankfully Moses was born at home without a midwife and he was not thrown into the Nile, he was nursed for a little bit and then they prepared a beautiful little reed basket, literally in the Hebrew the word is an ark and he was set afloat in the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses floating in the reeds in the Nile, takes compassion on him, realises what's happening, says, I'm going to take this child to be my own. God was at work. God was going to answer their prayers in a remarkable way. So he gets raised, Moses gets raised as an Egyptian. Not a Hebrew. Now think about this most likely he did not grow up speaking hebrew he was schooled in all the wisdom of egypt he was like a stolen generation child raised in basic ignorance of his own culture he obviously knew though something about his culture because when he saw when he was about 40 he saw an egyptian killing you know attacking, beating one of his own people, a Hebrew. So he intervenes, kills the Egyptian and buries him to hide the evidence. The next day he sees two Hebrews fighting and he goes up and he says to them, don't, stop, stop. And one of them turns to him and says, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Are you gonna kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And Moses goes, no, this is known. What's Pharaoh going to do? And Pharaoh heard about it, and when he knew Pharaoh wanted to kill him, he flees. So he then becomes a refugee in the land of Midian. So he lived 40 years in Egypt, as basically as an Egyptian. He then flees to Midian, and he spends the next 40 years serving Jethro, who uh, who became his father-in-law. He married his daughter Zipporah. And in that time, looking after Jethro's sheep, he has an amazing encounter in the wilderness. And we see a staggering personal encounter with God. He'd be 80 years old, and God was going to appear to him in a burning bush. Think about it. In Genesis, the Lord became known as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And now in Exodus, he is going to uphold his part of the covenant in a most remarkable way. Now, before we look at this encounter, I just want you to step back and reflect a little bit. Have you ever had a day that involved something staggering? Unusual to the extreme? For me, the events of 9/11 were like that. We were at a pastors' family conference at Camp Clayton near Ulverston and Robin was putting the children to sleep in bed, and I was chatting with a, a few friends in the common room, and some api- some pictures started to appear on the TV screen behind us, and we looked and we saw a jet go in and crash into the into the building. we We were flabbergasted. What unfolded after that will be etched in my memory forever. I think Moses had a day right up there on that kind of a scale but in a positive way. He's looking after the sheep and he looks out of the corner of his eye and he sees something he's never seen before a bush that's burning there's flames in it but it's not turning black it's not getting burned up and he thinks whoa, I've never seen that before and he, and he moves over to have a closer look and a voice speaks to him out of the bush Moses, Moses, take the sandals off your feet this is holy ground and You imagine whoa what is going on here? He has an encounter with a living God. God says to him, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I've come down to deliver them. And he's going, whoa, he's just trying to process all this and take it all in. So think about it. The Lord reassures Moses, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's not as though he'd actually really been schooled in the history of Israel, he'd been schooled in the history of Egypt. It's not as though he'd grown up in a home that taught him the Bible. It's not as though he'd grown up knowing all these promises. And God says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this took Moses back to his Hebrew origins. It was, it was the living God of the Hebrews speaking to him in exile in Midian. The encounter was so fearful to Moses that he hid his face. He probably thought to himself, I'm going to die. I've, I've seen God. I can't live. We're told it was an angel of the Lord that appeared to him in verse 2. But there's several other parts in Genesis where the angel of the Lord is obviously God. And as we go through this chapter, we can see it's all speaking in the first hand. I will. I am. I am who I am. I will deliver you. It's clearly God. Some versions capitalize A-A in the angel of the Lord, to show that. So the Lord saw the suffering and cries of his people in Egypt and was concerned for them. He was determined to bring Israel out of Egypt into that good and spacious land that he promised to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. God always finishes what he begins. He always completes what he promises He keeps his word. He wasn't going to abandon his children just because a tyrant was oppressing them in Egypt. Now, verse 10 is where the rubber hits the road for Moses. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses has been called to return to Egypt where he'd fled from Pharaoh after murdering that Egyptian. He'd fled in fear. Now, I don't know about you, but I really feel for Moses. He'd been away from Egypt for 40 years. That's more than a generation. That's like us going back to when Australia won, first won the America's Cup, 1983. If I look at my life, in 1983, it was my second year out of Bible college. We had one child, not five. We had no grandchildren. We were living in Toowoomba in the Darling Downs in South East Queensland. Life was vastly different. There was no internet. There were no laptops. There there were no mobile phones. It was a very different world. Bob Hawke was Prime Minister. Moses had not been in Egypt for that long, 40 years. He'd had no real contact with the Hebrews for 40 years and the 40 years prior to that, he'd been raised as an Egyptian. So now he's 80. God wants him to then go back and lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And you can imagine Moses' mind going into overdrive and thinking... Who am I to go back and lead these people? Look at the question he asks Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 11. He probably felt like a stolen generation man being asked to go back and lead his people when he didn't know the language, didn't know the culture, and rock up and say, I'm your deliverer. How is that going to work? But notice how God goes out of his way to promise Moses a sign, to reassure him. God was now going to show Moses who he is, the Lord. So look at this revealing sign, God's revealing personal promise, his presence. God said, the difference is, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people of Egypt, people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Where you're standing now, you will come back with all the Israelites and you will worship me. And in Exodus 20, that's exactly what happened when God gave the 10 Commandments. Back on the mountain. Moses understood what God was promising But it all seemed so preposterous to him that he felt the need to ask a question. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Again, think about it. Moses could picture himself saying, what do I know about the God of Israel? But Lord, you're asking me to go back to the Israelites and say, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob has asked me to come and deliver you. And they will challenge me and say, who is this God? Do you really know him? Where have you been? And this is where it gets very, very interesting. and This is where we need to take a lot of things to heart. The three occurrences of I am, verses 14 and 15, it says three times in verse 14, I am who I am, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am, has sent me to you. Now that's the verb to be. It can also be translated as I will be. It's the same word that's used back in verse 12, I will be with you. Could also be translated as I am with you. It's the verb to be. And God is revealing Himself in terms of isness. I am the one who just is. I am who I am. And I therefore will be all that I will forever be. That's what He's saying to Moses. In the Hebrew Bible, they inserted the vowels for the word Lord, Adonai, between the consonants of the covenant name for God, Yahweh. And our English Bibles follow a traditional honouring of that practice by translating the covenant name of God not as Yahweh, but as Lord, written with small capital letters to distinguish it from the Hebrew word for Lord, Adonai. So in your English Bible, when you see Lord written in capital letters, that's the covenant name of God. That's Yahweh. What we must not miss here is that God is revealing the meaning of his personal name to Moses as I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Is implicitly saying that he must be with Moses because he can't change. There's no other possibility. He is who he is. He's calling Moses. He's promised to be with him and he will be with him. Moses cannot succeed in his calling without God's presence any more than God could cease to be who he is and always will be. There's a promise. Wow! For Moses to go in the Lord's name, Yahweh must be with him because he cannot do or be otherwise. He is who he is and he does what he does because of who he is. That's why he says, I am who I am. We change, we fail to keep our word, we break our promises and our commitments. God doesn't change. He keeps his word. The promise he'd made 600 years before to Abraham, that's like us going back to 1420, and God's going to keep his word. God also said to Moses in verse 15, say to the Israelites... The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now this explains why the I am sayings of of Jesus in John's gospel and other parts of the New Testament are so significant. Jesus is claiming to be I am. When the Jews heard Jesus say, before Abraham was, I am, they took up stones to stone him because he made himself out to be God. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, they go, that's a claim of divinity. The statement in Hebrews 13:8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, is an unpacking of the significance of I am who I am. The Great Commission promise, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age, is the same. It's a promise of God's constant personal presence through his son, Jesus Christ. This covenant God, Yahweh, is a three-in-one God. He has a son. And they have a spirit who he sends to dwell in us. And all of the New Testament letters address both Jesus Christ and God the Father as Lord. Interestingly, Moses twice worshipped the Lord on this mountain. He did it in Exodus 20, but he did it again on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who appeared with Jesus, the glorified Jesus, when he was transfigured into all his I am glory? Moses and Elijah. And they worshipped the Lord. So let's step back from this story now and ask ourselves a couple of questions. What have we seen here of the Lord? We see that he heard the prayers of his people. The Lord heard the cries of his people in Egypt. He had compassion on them and he raised up Moses. It may not have come about in the way that they expected or in the timing that they wanted, but God was listening and God was acting. Moses' very weakness and sense of inadequacy moved him to ask questions of God. And God was merciful and accommodated to Moses and answered his questions. The Lord was gracious and he is gracious. And if he is the same yesterday, today and forever, he will be like that with us. God answered the prayers of his people we should expect that God would answer prayer. And we see that God was pursuing his wonderful plan. The Lord was keeping his centuries old promise to Abraham by raising up Moses to deliver his people Israel and bring them into the promised land and give them his laws, fight their battles and be their God. We know from the Old Testament that the law came through Moses. And we know from the New Testament that grace and salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the second Adam. The first Adam plunged humanity into devastation and death. Jesus, the second Adam, brings us life. humanity's chronic law-breaking that you see all through the book of Genesis with polygamy and incest and murder and a whole range of things, and here in Exodus with unbelief and struggles. God is faithful and through it all, he works out his promises. God's plan would include Moses, but not finish with it. When God took Moses out of the water It wasn't just for Moses' private salvation. It was to raise him up to be a deliverer. The very name Moses means to draw out. There's a double pun on the meaning of Moses' name. He was drawn out of the water, but he would draw the Israelites out of Egypt. God would use him in that plan. And we see that God made himself known to Moses. The Lord was merciful when Moses had fears and he had questions and doubts. The Lord revealed more of himself to Moses, a shepherd in exile in Midian, than he had to Abraham. I am who I am. When God said, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, and tell them I am as sent me to you, he was saying to Moses, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will fulfill all my holy plans and keep all my promises, and I will be with you always. Wow. That's an encouragement. So two ideas to get us thinking and prompt some conversations before I close. How then should we live today? We live by faith in the Lord. We live by faith in this Lord, this great I am. We can be a lot like Moses have doubts and question the Lord and have missteps and failings. I look at my life and I realise there's uh, sometimes I think I have two left feet and I I just get things mixed up. Sometimes the very things I know I forget. It's like I'm acting with amnesia. I, I know that God's on the throne but I act like he isn't. But if in the end... We turn to the Lord and trust him. He will receive us. Moses, for all his questions, all his doubts, in the end of chapter 4, the next chapter, we didn't look at it, but God got angry with Moses and just said, Go to Egypt. But Moses went. And he's listed in Hebrews 11 as a hero of the faith who chose to suffer with the children of Israel than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You would look at his life and think is that a hero of the faith? But he's walking by faith. He's taking God at his word. That's what faith does. It takes God's promises to heart. Faith is the sure and certain possession of what God promises. That means Anticipating future grace. Anticipate it. Each of Paul's letters in the New Testament opens with some variation of this pattern. Grace, mercy and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know that each of them finishes with some variation of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You can look at it, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, all of them. Grace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The great I am has promised to be with his people. We need to bank that check. We need to trust that that is true and count on it. This is something I can easily forget. I know the Lord has given very great and precious promises in Christ. I know he's faithful. But I can so easily lean on my own understanding and try to live by my own resourcefulness. So God reminds me of my weaknesses through bouts of vertigo, getting older and becoming weaker, not having the energy I once had. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Trust me. Count on it. His grace is all sufficient. I need to be expecting that. I need to clothe that in prayer. I need to take that back to God in prayer. I need to take to heart the promise that my God will meet all my needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus philippians 4:19 the christian life means living by anticipating god's constant promise to us what about you what is god challenging you about today from this promise of his constant presence what will you do today And after today, tomorrow, next week, when you get that diagnosis, when you lose your job, when you see something unfold in your life that you think is terrible, or you get a text message from that bully at school, what will you do? Collapse in a heap? Or trust the Lord who said, I will be with you? Let's look to the Lord now together in prayer and ask Him to clothe us with the faith that anticipates His grace, that looks ahead and says, Yes, Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with me. Let's pray. Lord, you are yesterday, today, and forever the same, always faithful. By your glorious death and resurrection and your outpoured spirit, you have saved us. And you are making us like yourself. You've begun a good work and you will finish it. You've told us that. Our heart of hearts know that. We thank you for preparing an eternal home for us and committing to return and perfect us in every way. Enable us today and every day to grow in faith, to grow in hope, to grow in love by taking you at your word and anticipating your empowering presence with us. Strengthen us in our study, our work, in our friendships, our families, That we might walk by faith, worshipping you with all our heart, with all our mind and all our strength. Help us to walk our talk. When we stumble and fall, we know that you are gracious and merciful. That you have forgiven us in your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. So we get up and we keep walking by faith. Father, if anyone here is doubtful that you are the great I Am, please reveal yourself to them now. Show them the power of your name, displayed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and accept their prayers for the sake of Jesus' glorious name. Amen.